I am shocked and appalled that the third leading cause of death in America has as little research and, and true statistics behind it that it has. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 53 of Improv is No Joke podcast. And today's guest is Kathy Passion, who's the executive director for the Central Ohio's Diabetes Association and former executive director of the Juvenile's Diabetes Research Foundation here in Columbus, Ohio, about the warning signs of type 1 diabetes and the latest research on finding a cure. Now, I'm a type 1 diabetic who was diagnosed over 10 years ago. However, on January 1st of this year, my 16-year-old son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. That event has changed my focus on diabetes because we were lucky that I recognized the early warning signs, saw them, and reacted quickly to get my son to the emergency room. Unfortunately, a lot of parents do not know the signs and their child could die from high blood sugar if not caught quickly. The purpose of this podcast is to help raise awareness of the warning signs of type 1 diabetes so parents can react quickly. I would like to request that you point your friends, family, coworkers, etc. to this episode because it could save a child's life. With that said, let's get to this all-important interview with Kathy Passion. Kathy, thank you for taking time out of your extremely busy work day to spend some time with me on my podcast discussing this very important issue of type 1 diabetes. Pete, I can't thank you enough for helping us spread the word. And you're currently the executive director at the Central Ohio Diabetes Association. Yes, exactly. And we met when you were the executive director of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Association here in Columbus as yes. well. And, yes. and we had this conversation because, as I've, as I've said in my intro uh, about my son coming down with type 1 diabetes, now it, it's, no, you didn't do that to my family. So I, I'm on this passionate uh, journey of helping to raise awareness of this and everybody because I was I was diagnosed and I was in my 40s when I was diagnosed, but especially in children. So if you could give the audience, you know, just a little bit of background around it and some of the warning signs and things that you've seen and the things that you've heard over your tenure in, in, in both of these wonderful uh, institutions. Well, as you know, the problem is the warning sign of signs of diabetes are, it can be perceived as, well, they're a growing child. Of course, they're incredibly thirsty. It's maybe the summer and they're playing sports. And so they're drinking a lot more than usual and they're going to the bathroom more. Well, of course they're going to the bathroom more because they're drinking more because they're 
you know, they're so busy in sports. They're losing weight. Well, of course they're losing weight. You know, it's the summer. They're busier, all that sort of thing. You know, and it just takes someone really saying, you know what, this wasn't my kid before, and this seems really different, and I need to know what's going on. A, a lot of times it really is that parent, and I'll be a little, I'll be a little biased and say the mom, but, you know, but really <laughs> – Either parent looking at the child and saying, this isn't normal. You know, I, I get that they're growing, but, but this, this isn't normal. And, and then just kind of insisting, you know, going and sometimes, uh, unfortunately, depending upon the awareness of the child's pediatrician of autoimmune illnesses like type 1 diabetes, they may or may not be looking for that, you know, and, and we have certainly heard stories of parents being told, oh, they're just growing, you know, go back home. And then going back and having, you know, insisting on a blood test or something like that, and the blood is up in the 300s or the 600s or, God forbid, higher than that and, and really up in some dangerous zones before, before everyone really starts to realize, oh, my gosh, you know, here's a fit, young, healthy, thin child, and they're being diagnosed with diabetes. That's kind of blowing my mind because that's not what the public thinks diabetes is. Right. And, and to help the audience understand, what's the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? Because I, I see a lot of people having confusion with that. Right. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease. There is absolutely nothing that people who have type 1 diabetes did to get the disease, and there is literally absolutely nothing they can do to get rid of it. When someone at any age receives a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes, they will have this disease for life until JDRF and our research partners find a cure. Type 1 diabetes is, it, it presents like diabetes, but it's so different from type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes, you know, what it has in common with type 1 is the suppression of the effectiveness of insulin in the body's system. So the, the, in both situations, diabetes is the insulin produced by the body simply is not either effective, it's not enough, uh, whatever, to meet the, the insulin needs of the body. And so some sort of external uh, insulin, some sort of dose of external insulin for type 1 is necessary for the type 2s. What they can do is there are various medications that, that the folks with type 2 diabetes can do to just sort of boost the effectiveness of the insulin that their body is making. So it, it, it winds up causing the same sort of reaction in the body, but the reasons are entirely different. Again, type 1, it's an autoimmune disease. There typically is some sort of trigger that creates an autoimmune response in the body where the body attacks its own insulin it's, uh, and, and it's an autoimmune response. In type 2, it, it is the overabundance of fat cells in the body that can suppress the effectiveness of the insulin. And that's why, fortunately, yay for the type 2s, with appropriate diet and exercise changes, they can really manage that and keep it under control, maybe even not even have to do medications and just, you know, just really tight control can help them uh, live with the insulin produced by their own body. Thank you for that uh, clarification between type 1 and type 2, because I... I, I, I... 
hear so many people get them confused and and that was very articulate but you also said something in there uh you said a something triggers can, can you can you talk a little bit more about that that triggering effect well, what, what I'm going to say is research is ongoing, especially in the type one world. And, and, and I'm going to digress for a minute. I am shocked and appalled that the third leading cause of death in America has as little research and, and true statistics behind it that it has. I'm just getting into the type two world, but I can tell you, even with type one, thank God for JDRF, thank God they've been carrying the banner for 47 years to say, we're going to understand this and we're going to find a cure because, you know, every day, all day long, 24-7, 365, if you've got type 1 diabetes, it's never off your mind. Uh, that said, it does appear, you know, for the longest time, everyone thought type 1 was juvenile diabetes, quote unquote. Oh, well, this is just in kids. If kids are diagnosed, then it's type 1, but it's basically the same thing. And we know now that could not be more incorrect. It was probably, you know, 50 to 100, well, 100 years ago, <laughs> if you were diagnosed with diabetes, you died because... Insulin was not discovered until approximately 1920, I believe it was. So let's say even 50 years ago, you know, you, you did not live to be an adult with type 1 diabetes if it was not diagnosed because it is a disease that will kill you. If you have too much sugar, in, too much blood glucose in your system for too long, it simply cooks the, the organs and all the working systems of your bodies and you die young. And, and we assume that 50, 75 years ago, that's exactly what happened. People just were probably not feeling real great and then died young. Well, thank God they finally started realizing that, that hey, you can be young and thin and still have a very serious form of diabetes and we need to do something about that. So for the longest time they thought, well, I love this. Even in some of the uh, materials, it'll say, it comes on suddenly. It truly doesn't. It's, it's sudden to the family, but I have yet to meet a family who says, oh, no, he was fine one day, and the next day his blood sugar was over 300, and boom, he was diabetic. It, it just doesn't happen that way. It really is some sort of gradual diminishing of effectiveness of the body to use its own insulin, which becomes more and more obvious over time via the symptoms that we talked about earlier. And what they think and what a lot of people will say anecdotally now is there can be a triggering event. So many people have said, you know what, about six months before I got diagnosed, I had a really bad virus. Or, you know, a year before I got diagnosed, I, I was really sick and we didn't know what it was. And then, you know, about six months later, I started just really feeling horrible. And then another six months later, we figured out it was, it was type 1. So, so it does seem to have, in certain situations, and there are absolutely no, <laughs> there are absolutely no absolutes when it comes <laughs> to type 1. And so it, it does appear to have a triggering event, and that is something where then it becomes interesting, this, this family history of it. And, and is it hereditary? They're not using that word anymore. It's not so much hereditary, but maybe there's some sort of genetic predisposition where if, you know, if Pete has type 1 
and your son maybe has a virus at some point, then maybe he has a predisposition in his body to have some sort of autoimmune response to that, and maybe it's going to present as type 1 diabetes as well. Okay. One, thank you for the, for the, um, the background around uh, diabetes, the third leading cause of death, as well as that triggering. Because I do remember when one of the first questions they asked us at Children's Hospital when when they got him down there, that was he has he been sick lately? And in my in my son's case, uh, he wasn't. We we can't trace it back to that. Uh, and, and being a diabetic for ten years, I this is kind of funny. Um, when he was told that he had diabetes, my son did not miss a beat. Just turned and looked at me and said, hey, thanks, Dad. <laughs> so, well, but little bit, I know you. I'm not surprised your son is like that. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just those symptoms of excessive thirst, of, of, of urination. Of, another one that, that uh, um, you know, he's a teenager. Of course he's going to sleep a lot. Of course they're going to be lethargic. Yeah, that's another, that's another one, that I guess. And like, eating a lot. Eating mm-hmm. a lot. Classic sign, losing weight, right. And those are really, the I think, the big five that, if you even sense anything, uh, take action on it. Uh, on it. And back to your point, this doesn't seem to be that gut feeling. Something doesn't seem to be right here. This, this doesn't feel right. And I, I, rem- I remember you sharing with me uh, in a first meeting that by not knowing some parents, their, their children might be thirsty, so they're giving them Cokes and milkshakes, which is the last thing because all you're doing is adding on to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's scary. It, it can lead to then, gosh, just the whole huge topic around the emotions of, of diabetes in general, but type 1 diabetes in particular, because some of it, everyone puts on the bold face, but you get them alone and the parents will say, I feel horrible. I feel like I caused this. I feel guilty. I feel like I should have seen sooner. You know, just all the all the emotions you can imagine beating themselves up when it's still, you know, think about it. Type 1 diabetes is only 5% of the diabetes population. We have approximately 30 million people diagnosed with diabetes in America today, and only about 1.25 million of them have type 1 diabetes. It's it's still very strange, and you don't look at a young, thin child and think diabetes. You you just simply don't. So it, it's it's just so interesting, and certainly, you know, the important thing to remember, and and, and for me, this is true of type one and type two, but especially type one. You you can't go into it thinking, oh, I can never have a milkshake again. Oh, I can never have birthday cake again. Yes, you can, just in a very controlled way. And you just have to really manage that. You have to get to know your body in a way that, you know, in, in some ways is a much more intense, much more detailed, and, yeah, more of a pain than those of us who don't have an autoimmune disease. But for the people who understand, hey, it's this or a really ugly alternative of having, you know, of being sick a good part of my life and maybe, you know, not living a long, healthy life like I should, 
In some people, it makes them so much more disciplined. And I'd be curious, especially you being diagnosed as an, as an adult, the changes that you had to make, did you wind up just finding yourself being more disciplined? Oh, very much so. I, the accountant to me, uh, when I was first diagnosed, I had a spreadsheet. And I had what my blood sugar was, what I ate, carb count. I was almost obsessive at, at that point. Um, and then as I as I made my way to the pump, uh, I became less obsessive. But I still, 90% of the time, I'm vigilant. And there's that 10% of the time, there's some days, because it is a 24-7, 365, I'm like, hell with it. Uh-huh. But that's, you know, very few and far between. And about the diet, what, what kind of blew me away when uh, we were at Children's Hospital and, and, and they were, the dietitian came in to talk to Stephen, you know, he was kind of going through the list of things that, that, that he was eating and, and maple syrup and, and um, he was drinking Coke. And she said, the only two suggestions I'm going to tell you is get rid of those two. Everything else you can manage. Just just learn how to carb count, learn how to make the adjustments. You can really eat or drink anything. It's true. But you have to manage it. And I think it's that managing part um, that, you know, it's. The, I, I heard somewhere uh, that two hours out of every day, like a, from a type 1 diabetic, is, is focused on managing their diabetes from pricking your finger to blood to the whole recording aspect of it. But I, I want to take a step back and talk about the emotion because the, the few families that I've talked with, yes, they, they I, how could I do this? They, they were feeling bad. But like I said, they didn't know the symptoms. And, and even in my case, I was beating myself up for about 10 minutes. Uh, how could I have done this to this kid? And I, then I just rationalized. I went, wait a minute. I'm living with it. I've, I've been a, uh, an example for him that you can do anything you want to. You just have to manage it. But yeah, those emotions, um, and even after the fact, with with he and I, because uh, you can validate, at 16 years old, his body... You know, it's it's different. It seems like every single day. There's no real consistency right now. Maybe he's in that honeymoon period. So I ask him, what do you think? He'll check his blood. And I go, what do you think we should do? And I help him. I have him try to give me the rationalization around it and understand it. And I know that I've heard stories of a lot of parents tend to overmanage it for their children and, and become a little bit... Um, of a micromanager and it's, and it's, it's, I don't know. I don't like working with micromanagers as bosses. So there's a little bit of, there's, there's a lot of friction there. Well, so, so first of all, I want to go back and add in something that I didn't say earlier. So especially in, in type one, because I am more familiar with that, but I have to wonder how true this is in type two. There can be a virus. There can be, you know, there can trigger some sort of autoimmune response within the body to start attacking the insulin that the body makes. But it doesn't mean that it's a full-on assault from day one. So a lot of times, I think that's what people mean by the honeymoon period. And, and honeymoon is kind of an odd way of thinking about <laughs> it. Because what it means is we know that you have a form of diabetes and that your the insulin your body creates is becoming less and less effective, but it's not completely ineffective. So especially in the case of your son, he's growing. So is it that his pancreas is pumping out no insulin? 
You know, probably not. And what they're finding is, especially when women go on and get pregnant, they have a lower need for insulin during the time that they're pregnant. Well, what the heck's going on there? You know, I I used to work with a woman who had been type 1 since she was 15 years old. She had three children, God bless her. Mm -hmm. And with all of them, she noticed a decreased need for, for insulin during the course of the pregnancy. Well, Hmm, we thought her pancreas was dead. Uh, obviously not. And what they're finding is, and I think the latest research I saw is, you know, someone who was looked at maybe, maybe 30 years into a diagnosis. And when they really, you know, got down into it and looked into the pancreas, they were, that pancreas was still pumping out, you know, just the barest amounts of insulin. But it, but it wanted to. And so, of course, there's research around how do you reactivate the pancreas while at the same time suppressing that autoimmune response to then attack the insulin that's created. So I, I did want to add that, you know, that it's really just such a much more complex disease than anyone ever dreamed it was. But, but so more importantly, so then... That very much leads into the emotions because you think you have this thing down. Oh, well, you know, I was on the Internet. I read five articles. Okay, I got this. And the the information about diabetes is just changing uh, on such a rapid basis because of all the wonderful research going on definitely in the type 1 world. And so I think the first thing, as I said, that parents feel is guilty. You know, did they do anything? And or why didn't they see the symptoms sooner? Why didn't they get their child help sooner? But unfortunately, as you know from personal experience, the real emotion that comes out over time is we can politely call it burnout. Some people are willing to just, you know, go ahead and say it's depression. It's actual, honest to God, clinical depression that I have to spend, you know, literally every day of my life thinking about this situation. And if I don't, the worst could happen in the case of of folks with type 1. And so just the depression that the parents feel for their children, the depression that the people with type 1 can feel. I have heard of people who, um, and I'm not, I'm not on any of the diabetes blogs you might be, but some people just say, you know what, I'm just not going to have diabetes today. I'm going to get up. I'm not going to check my sugar. I'm going to eat what I want, and I'm just not going to have diabetes today. And so, of course, what they have to do is notify everyone they know, hey, I'm doing this, you know, and if you, if you notice anything or, or anything like that. But they just need that break. They just need to feel like they have that. Well, now, thank God, we have the artificial pancreas coming out. And, and with Medtronic's, you know, virtually closed-loop system that's available, People can almost have that kind of break from type 1 diabetes where it's not a constant uh, pressure on them. And I feel certain over the course of time, we will hear that a lot of the emotions around, again, type 1 in particular, people are able to to, uh, lift some of that depression and some of that sadness and burden that they may feel from having having a chronic disease like that. Yes, uh, and that's that's something that they talk to us about Children's Hospital about, you know, keep an eye because, you know, if he starts getting depressed or whatever. But this close, this potential closed loop and the artificial pancreas, the the one 
blessing that I think my son has is there will be some cure in his lifetime. And I and I and I want to say he's he's turning seventeen soon. So I, I hopefully by the time he's twenty five. The, the way technology is going and, and the potential pump that is a closed loop system, which means that it will be able to, with a sensor uh, uh, placed on your body, it sends your blood sugar to your pump. And then the pump itself will automatically make the adjustments of the amount of insulin that you're receiving as a pancreas would do. Uh, and a lot of people thought that it, that's what the pump already does and, and, and it and it doesn't and, and through my endocrinologist I, I've already I've already heard that there's the, the true artificial I don't know how you refer to it but the implant of an artificial pancreas uh, into the into the body uh, that will you won't have to you'll never have to prick your finger again right it's there are so many advances on their way, you know, and a lot of people refuse to even refer to the system as artificial pancreas because clearly the pancreas does more than pump out insulin. Just, just because the insulin part of it isn't working doesn't mean the pancreas isn't working. The pancreas is still doing a lot of other stuff. So just so much more information and so many more wonderful forms of technology and especially with your numbers being able to be made available to your loved ones or caregivers via the phone. And, and I don't know if you're on that system, but I, I, think about how you're going to feel when your son spends his first night at college. Oh, I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> and won't, won't it be wonderful if he is willing you know, won't it be wonderful to, for him to be on a system where you will have on your phone exactly what his numbers are as of, I think it's every five minutes, I believe, and, and just be able to, to know. And then, of course, you'll, you'll build your care system around him at whatever college he goes to so that if you're ever concerned, you're able to contact other people. But, but what an advance. I mean, just imagine sending your kid off to college with a disease that unfortunately, you know, one one or two wrong moves and and unfortunately it can take their life. It, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, I, I actually have some literature on that, on the Dexcom G5 mobile where I, I can, his numbers were uploaded and I can look on my phone and see how, see how he's doing, which is incredible. Yeah, amazing, amazing stuff is coming and you're absolutely right. I mean, the experts in the field say, depending upon how you define a cure, we really will have a cure in, you know, certainly in the lifetime of the people being diagnosed right now. I do want to say one more statistic. You know, back in the day, juvenile diabetes, type 1 diabetes was diagnosed in children only. But these days, there are 30,000 diagnoses every year in the United States. Of those, 15,000 of them are children, but 15,000 of them are adults. Wow. And, and so it's, it's just not juvenile diabetes anymore. It is type 1 diabetes. It is an autoimmune reaction in your body to probably some sort of trigger or event or illness or something like that. I, I didn't realize that, that statistic, and that's absolutely, absolutely amazing. Listen, I just want to kind of, as we begin to kind of wrap this up, prior to us recording this, uh, you made a, a reference to, uh, I think it was called Regan's Law. Regan's Rule. Re mm -hmm. uh, Regan's Rule. Can, can you um, explain what Regan's Rule is? Well, I had 
the privilege of meeting a woman who here in Ohio who is working to try to get something like Regan's Rule implemented in Ohio. What happened was, I'm going to say 16-month-old little girl in North Carolina was showing all the symptoms. Her mother, I believe it was, took her to the doctor, and I'm going to say more than once, the doctor did not recognize uh, the palette of symptoms and did not properly test Regan or I think did not test Regan at all for diabetes, and Regan passed away from high blood sugar at, you know, somewhere around two years old. This, my impression was, this was a rural uh, doctor, a primary care doctor who, of course, you know, they, they can't even be expected to be experts in everything, but this was a situation where, I believe the doctor was not necessarily in a uh, you know big city area, and just did not have the kind of continual education about all the different symptoms and putting them together with you know and and hence finding diseases they might not actually think about. So in North Carolina, there is Regan's Rule, and it is just a. I hate to say requirement, but, but it is just sort of like we as a state have agreed that we are going to provide continuing education to all of our doctors, especially those in the non-urban areas, on the symptoms and signs of type 1 diabetes. Wow. Again, wow. I believe there is, you know, there is the attempt to get something like that in Ohio. I don't know where that stands to my knowledge. They haven't introduced legislation or anything like that. But even at that, you know, this is where the network of parents and interested adults is so important to JDRF and to the Central Ohio Diabetes Association. We need everyone out there raising awareness about diabetes and raising awareness about what we need to do in order to make sure that all the right people have all the right information. Our schools, our churches, our, believe it or not, doctor's offices. It's it's it takes a village. It, it, it does. And, and to that point of raising awareness, um, I was actually in uh, Endicott, Nebraska, which is about about an hour and a half outside of Omaha w with a client. And somebody one of his managers said that his son was diagnosed at the age of 12 or 13 with type one and it was really difficult on him because he was the only kid in school with type one diabetes. And, and, and they would go to whether it's Nebraska uh, Diabetes Association, whatever, and, and I know Central Ohio Diabetes Association does is ha have these camps, and where they were, they were, his son was going to these camps so he could, in, in their terms, feel normal again, be, be around people just like them, versus you know, and and, and I guess fortunately, unfortunately, un unfortunately, we're in Central Ohio, the school that my son goes to, the uh, the nurse told me there's about 15 to 16 diabetics at school. We, we can't get over it. I I believe, and it's kind of a, a very loose statistic, but I think Nationwide Children's Hospital gets probably 300 diagnoses a year. And, and doesn't that just blow your mind? Now, Nationwide Children's Hospital covers a 26 or 27 county area. So they are covering, you know, from central Ohio down. But uh, that number just blows my mind. Uh, I mean, I can do the math. on That's about one a day. And and, and that that just, and, and, the, and the 
the, the statistics that I have not asked, and you said you don't know, but you know that it has occurred, is how many children have gone in too late to be diagnosed and unfortunately don't come out the same way they go in? Right. Because, and, and this is my final banner, because we do not have a diabetes registry in the state of Ohio. So there is no requirement for doctors to report that they have diagnosed. Um, there's no requirement to report complications that may have come from a diabetes diagnosis. And there's no requirement to report a death based on, you know, high blood sugar or anything like that. And we need to change that. This is just too prevalent a disease, type 1 and type 2, it's too prevalent. We need to know more about it. We need to understand exactly where it's occurring and and in what numbers, and then begin to look what's going on there. You know, there, there can be obvious environmental factors. Let's look for the less obvious environmental factors. I mean, we just need more information about this disease. Well, as you know, whatever I can do to help, and this is one way that I that I want to do this is is to get this uh, you on this podcast to talk about it. And for those of you who are listening, pass this along, have them download it. If you know so any parent, any family member, coworker, anybody, just have them listen to this. And 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 the reason to listen to it is to hear the signs and see it, and just have that in your sub in the back of your mind at at all times. If you see something weird, act on it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's funny. People can just appear to be kind of zoning out at work. They may be too high or too low, and and it's worth. Possibly having that conversation. Exactly, and as as a couple of diabetic friends of mine have said, diabetes. We're the ones who take drugs not to be high. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, and, and, and I, I I asked them. It's you know a lot of dealing with. And they're type one diabetics. A lot of dealing dealing with it. It goes back to your attitude that you take and. You know, I, I've I've written a little bit of comedy uh, about it. That, you know, I have type one diabetic. Hey, it's the only time in my life I've ever been number one. Uh, it's yeah, it, it is somewhat of an because it can't if you if you don't attack it with a positive attitude, it, it can really wear you down. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't even imagine. No, you are to be admired, Pete, and you know you. You are an ambassador for the type 1 population, and just a reminder that you it's, it's not that the diabetes controls you, it's that you have to control the diabetes. And people like you are a good reminder of that, and just, you know, that discipline that you take toward your diabetes, you obviously have toward all areas of your life, and it has led to the success that you have been able to achieve. The podcast, the book, you're speaking, I mean, this is exactly what we want people with type 1 to think is possible. Thank you. I, I greatly appreciate the kind words. And uh, you've got my contact information. You know, if I can ever do anything for you, you need you need somebody to speak at an event, uh, just let me know. And if I'm in town, I, I'm right there. Wonderful. That's great. Kathy, thank you again. A lot of great information. And uh, go to the Central Ohio Diabetes Association website. Go to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation website. There's a lot of information there. And, and, and be aware of type 1 diabetes. Thank you again. 
I can't thank Kathy enough for taking time to have this discussion on my podcast and helping to raise the awareness of signs of type 1 diabetes and understanding the challenges of being a type 1 diabetic. Now, in episode 54, I interview Alan Lloyd, who's the new CEO of the Montana Society's CPAs. Once again, I'd like to request that you point your friends, family, co-workers, etc. to this episode because it could save a child's life. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.